All right, students, we just talked about Homer's Iliad and Homer's Odyssey for the first more than half of the year. We then closed the Odyssey with talking about uh, the so-called telegony, where we hear that a son of Odysseus, either by Circe or Calypso, by uh, Calypso, by Eustasius's um, uh, account rather than Eugamon's account, um, comes back to Ithaca to slay Odysseus and then marries Penelope and Telemachus goes to marry Circe. Very odd details. Well, interesting about that tale, which will connect to this tale, is the fact that when Tel Telegonus kills Odysseus, does he know that he is killing his father? No, because nothing is what? As it seems. That theme will be carried over into Oedipus Tyrannus, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus the King. That's the Greek way to say the title. That's the Latin way to say the title. And now that is the English way to say the title. Nothing is as it seems will certainly be the case in this play. And recall, this is not an epic, but rather a play. This will be performed in front of people. We'll have three people on the stage at a time with a chorus of villagers from a place called Thebes. The same Thebes at which Diomedes' father Anybody remember the name of Diomedes' father from the Iliad? Tidius will die in the Theban War. So are we going forward in time or back in time from the Odyssey? Back in time, back in time, back two generations, two generations. This is from the generation before the Iliad. And so these are the heroes that the heroes we know would have thought of as heroes. Very interesting. Going back as we go forward. And so this is a time from before the Trojan War. And in fact... Two sons of the protagonist, sometimes called an anti-hero in this text, Oedipus, Eteocles, and Polynices, those are hard names to say if you just look at how they are spelled, will have a war called the Theban War. And that Theban War, as I told you, is where Tidius, as well as the other six of the seven at Thebes, will die. In fact, we will see, uh, we don't see Tidius down in the Inferno next year, but we will see a man, Archbishop Ruggieri, who is modeled after Tidius. Something horrifying that Tidius did before he died is Athena was coming down to the battlefield to grant him immortality. Immortality for his deeds. And this is why she loves him so much and why she speaks so harshly to Diomedes when he seems like he's not living up, especially in Book 5 of the Iliad. But as she is coming down to give him immortality, he decides to bite and cannibalize the head of his slayer and to try to eat his head. And because that action is so crass, so vulgar, so beneath his dignity as a human, he is allowed to die. We will see um, Capanius, who was one of the Seven Against Thebes, very uh, arrogant man who got fulminated. That means, who recalls what fulminated means? It's something Zeus does to people. To get struck by lightning. lightning. He gets struck by lightning when he... he Climbs the uh, walls of Thebes and says, Zeus, Jove, he says, are you truly a magnificent god or are you just a wives' tale made to scare children? <laughs> Zeus responds by throwing a lightning bolt and, and incinerating him. What's Zeus's answer? Yes. Yes, I am quite real. Thank you. And um, also, there is a very famous um, prophet that we'll see. His name is escaping me for the moment, though. It's not Tiresias, it's not Manto, his daughter. Um, how is it popping out of my head? I'll remember it for you tomorrow and let you know. In any case, we'll see him down in, in Dante's Inferno as well. It's a very famous story is what I'm trying to get at. There are two major wars 
in the ancient mythological world that you must know. There's the Trojan War, and then there's the Theban War. And the Theban War is where there were heroes that the Trojan War warriors would have grown up hearing stories about. And so we're going back in time to see how it all began. All right, and so let's give some backstory. Oedipus, who is, as we start this play, king of Thebes, was, as a child, given away. Given away due to a prophecy about him. And this prophecy was two-pronged. And it was a nasty two-pronged prophecy. Probably not something you would want to hear for yourself. And we'll explain how this all happens over the next couple lectures. Here's the first part. He will lay with his mother. Yes. Not particularly happy to hear. In fact, um, a very famous 19th, 20th century father of psychoanalysts, psychoanalysis, named Sigmund Freud, came up with a concept called the Oedipus Complex, which is actually based on a quote from Oedipus the King, where Jocasta says to Oedipus, many, many men have had dreams of laying with their mothers before. And so from that, Freud decided that that was a complex that all males were capable of having. He also had a parallel concept to that called the so-called Electra complex for one of the daughters of Agamemnon. Well, the second prong of this prophecy, which is potentially worse, potentially better, both are pretty negative, is that he would kill his father. And so he will learn this prophecy during the course, well, in this, time is an interesting thing in this play. In this play, we will learn that he learned this prophecy and tried to run from it. But something that we know about fate in the ancient Greek world is, can you run from your fate? No. Even when we get to Dante, you cannot run from your fate. You can simply fail to live it out perfectly. And so it will be precisely because he tries to run from his fate that he lives it out. In fact, students, would you like to hear a small story from the Middle East very quickly that I will quiz you on? All right, I'll focus on me for a moment. I'll focus on me. This is an old folk tale. This is a ch children's tale. And so this is straight up story time. Let me take some dust from the lamp and throw it into the sky so that we're ready to look at the stars. And so this is called the Merchant of Samara or the Merchant of Baghdad. There was once a merchant who had a slave. Hmm. And that slave was asked for the merchant. And if I get a detail or two wrong, I'll clean it up later. That slave was sent then by the merchant into the bazaar. And a bazaar is a what? Who knows what a bazaar is? Market. It's a marketplace. And in the marketplace, the servant, the slave, sees death. Seeing death, of course, he immediately wants to what? Run away. Run away. But something odd, something odd about him seeing death is that death has a look on his face. It looks rather quizzical, puzzled, surprised. And so the servant or slave goes back to his master and says, I must flee from Baghdad to Samara. And so the master says, you've been very good to me. Yes, of course, you want to flee death. I don't want you to die. Go ahead. And so the servant goes to Samara. And in Samara, can you guess who it is that he runs into? Death. And he says, death, it's fine. You can take me if it's my time. I accept that. You've caught me. However, I just have one question for you. Can you guess what that question was? Based on one of the details I shared with you earlier. 
why was it that you were so puzzled to see me in Baghdad? And Death responds, oh, well, that's quite easy to explain. Because I knew that I had a date with you later in Samara. And so what is it that this servant did that led to his death? Because he ran from his death, he found his death. Precisely. Keep that story in mind while we go through this play. All right. A couple more pieces. There was a philosopher in the 4th century named Aristotle. He was the student of Plato, who was the student of Socrates. They started essentially the true philosophical tradition. There were some people called the so-called pre-Socratic philosophers, Thales, Anaximander, Anaximenes, uh, Empedocles, uh, Heraclitus, who came before them, but they were the first systematic philosophers. In fact, we'll probably read a little Aristotle together this year, definitely some next year during your research papers. Well, this philosopher Aristotle said that there are two major attributes to a tragedy. And recall that we are reading a play, we are watching a play, and it is a tragedy, not an epic. Two things make for a tragedy. A, a recognition that things are different from how one has thought they were. Sort of like Polyphemus's recognition in the Cyclopes episode that the person sitting in front of him in front of him who has blinded him is the person who was fated to have blinded him in the first place. The second part that makes a tragedy is a turn of fate. Generally tragic characters, I want you to write this down even though I don't have it up here, like epic characters are characters who are considered better than normal people. They are often of higher rank, better spoken, handsome, strong. Who, who do you think of from the Iliad that might fulfill some of these tragic uh, uh, criteria, yes? Achilles, of course, or even more so, possibly who? Who took his own life and was so like Achilles, yes? Aias the, the Greater, very good. So tragic characters are people that you look up to. Whereas, can you guess what makes somebody a comic character, which is the opposite of tragedy? Think about comedians, think about funny people. Are they people that you generally look up to? Are they noble, strong, beautiful, tall? No, generally they're people who are sort of laughable or mock worthy of mockery. They mock themselves. Comic characters are people that are often buffoons. In fact, that word is a French word for uh, a clown, right? Um, and they're people who you want to make fun of. Uh, one other distinction I want you to write is the major difference between a tragedy and a comedy is that in tragedy, things go from good to worse. So things start off nice. It's like a horror story. Things are good. You just moved into the new home. Everybody's happy. What happens in the new home always? There's a ghost. And it turns the father against the family. And he becomes violent. And then the family what's? And so you know what the, the theory behind most horror movies is? Is that what's the scariest thing in the world that can happen to you as a human? Your family can break apart because of so-called evil, evil spirits, right? Yes, of course, of course, of course, and that's still to this day very much true. I'll answer your question in a second. What a comedy does, and this will be important for you next year when you read The Divine Comedy, is things go from bad, they start off in a bad spot, and they get what? Better. They get better. Yes, what was your question? Is that what like, The Shining is supposed to be about? That is certainly what The Shining is about, is the devolvement of a man's mental state in from protect, wanting to protect his family to, due to lack of social influence, 
one into Hercus M. Yes, it is a it is a total turn from one way of being to another. Right, 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 right. Very good. Good thinking. I like that. All right, so know about the recognition, know about the turn of fate, know about the fact that tragic characters are better or worse than normal people. Better. So it makes it all the water when they fall and worsen themselves. All the sadder. It's all the more tragic. Tragic. Very good. Very good, very good. And that they also experience a, uh, they recognize what has happened to themselves. And I want you to really think about how important that is to a tragedy. They see what has happened. They see what they've become. And they recognize as well their own turn of fate. So they experience a turn of fate, but they have to see it for themselves. It's like that moment in a, vid in a movie. Tell me if you can tell me what this moment is. Where somebody's been doing terrible things and then they see a what. And then see themselves in it. And then look at themselves differently. Mm -hmm. They see a mirror. And when they look in that mirror, what is it that they see? They see themselves for how they are now. They remember who they once were. And so they see the what in their own character in that moment. They see the change. Yes. That's supposed to be a horrible moment. Yes. Very good. All right. The Greek stage. A couple things about this. Sophocles wrote at a time of great Greek art, at the height and the pinnacle of Greek dramatic performance. He wrote at the same time, at the same time as Euripides, who was the only playwright that Socrates, the philosopher teacher of Plato, and also I think uh, a uh, he he worked the stone. I think he was either a mason or a blacksmith, or perhaps even a leather worker. He worked with his hands. Um, but didn't often use, was not often at his job. There are old stories about him being chased around by Xanthippe, his wife, trying to get him to work rather than to talk to people. In any case, we have over 30 of Euripides' plays still extant. We only have seven of Sophocles's. Aeschylus very fam famously wrote the Oresteia, which is about a character you all know very well. Who was that son of Agamemnon who avenged his death, who Telemachus wanted to live up to, who Athena used as a model for Telemachus's life? Name starts with an O. Ooh, we've forgotten our Odyssey. Orestes. The Oresteia is about Orestes coming back to Mycenae and getting revenge on his mother and on his uh, father's supplanter. That's a pretty nasty little story because... If he's going to get vengeance for his father's death, who's he going to have to execute? His own mom. He does not get off easy for that. That is not an easy decision for him. All right, we also have Aristophanes, who wrote at the same time as Sophocles. He and Plato, Plato was the philosopher student of Socrates. They, some people say they really liked each other. Some people say they disliked each other. Both make fun of each other in their extant works. In a work by Plato called The Symposium, he has Aristophanes as a character who can't stop burping, but does give the most sophisticated account of the genesis of mankind. He says that man was once a sphere. Women and men were all one. But that Zeus, because of the hubris of man, the overconfidence, split them apart with a lightning bolt. And that's why men and women are two halves of one whole and why they need to reproduce, because they're no longer immortal and they're no longer happy without each other. Very interesting. Uh, Socrates shows up in one of Aristophanes' plays called The Cloud, where he, uh, he occupies a thinkery where all he does is sit and think all day, which is sort of funny. A, sunny, a funny way to uh, call somebody a do-nothing philosopher. In any case, Sophocles likely wrote this play 
in 441 BCE. That's the 5th century Athens. Ah, another attribute of these plays that you should know is that the word we have called person comes from the Latin word, of course these people spoke Greek, so this is a later word, called personae. Each character in these plays would have been male. Each character in these plays would have worn a mask. And so they all wear masks in these Greek plays, sort of like in, uh, well, not very much like old Japanese uh, theater. I think they just wear makeup. I'd have to study it a little more. In any case, there are three people maximum allowed on the stage at once. So these are not giant productions like you would later see in Richard Wagner in the 19th, 20th centuries, and often took themes from epics like events from and surrounding the Trojan War and tales of Odysseus as well. All right, what makes a tragedy? So I talked about this some, and I think this is going to be the last slide of the day because we're just going to run out of time. Often a hero or an anti-hero goes from a state of grace, that means a good place, to a fallen state. They experience a fall. And the difference between an anti-hero and a hero is this. A hero is someone who sets out to accomplish his task while experiencing character growth. Bildungsroman, so-called. Whereas an anti-hero often sets off to accomplish a task, but realizes that the problem has been who all along? Himself, right. So part of what Oedipus is going to do in this play is he is going to search down the cause of a plague in Thebes. Who is he going to realize is at the epicenter of this plague? Who is patient zero? Who will the cause of the plague be? Himself. So he will end up indicting himself. So his heroism will actually render him an anti-hero, which, again, is one of the brilliant aspects of this play. Tragic heroes, as I said, are often nobler and superior to everyday humans. They're often heroes, kings, people who are extraordinary in some way or another. Comedies are opposite, as I said. The situation goes from bad to better, and characters are often of lower stature. Laughable, easy to parody. Who would be a comic character from the Iliad? Yes. Thersites, of course. One other guy I'm thinking of, too. Both ten, yes. Dolon. Who would be a comic character from the Odyssey? Definitely some guy who was on a roof at some point, yes? Yes? Elpinor. All right, we'll continue talking about this in the chorus tomorrow.